Chapter Three of the Gifts of the Child Christ by George MacDonald. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three. On the Sunday evening, Alice's lover, having heard not from herself but by a side wind that she was going home the next day, made his appearance in Wimborne Square, somewhat perplexed both at the move and at her leaving him in ignorance of the same he was a cabinet-maker in an honest shop in the neighbourhood and in education faculty and general worth considerably alice's superior a fact that hitherto rather pleased her but now gave zest to the change which she imagined had subverted her former relation full of the sense of her new superiority she had him draped in an indescribable strangeness john jephson felt at the very first word as if her voice came from the other side of the english channel he wondered what he had done or rather what alice could imagine he had done or said to put her in such tantrums alice dear he said for john was a man to go straight at the enemy what's amiss what's come over you you ain't altogether like your own self to-night and here i find you're going away and ne'er a word to me about it what have i done alice's chin alone made reply she waited the fitting moment with splendour to astonish and with grandeur to subdue her lover to tell the sad truth she was no longer sure that it would be well to encourage him on the old footing was she not standing on tiptoe her skirts in one hand on the brink of the brook that parted serfdom from gentility on the point of stepping daintily across and leaving domestic slavery red hands caps and obedience behind her how then was she to marry a man that had black nails and smelt of glue it was incumbent on her at least for propriety's sake to render him at once aware that it was in condescension ineffable she took any notice of him alice my girl began john again in expostulatory tone miss cox if you please john jephson interposed alice what on earth's come over you exclaimed john with the first throb of rousing indignation but if you ain't your own self no more why miss cox be it it seems to me as if i weren't my own self no more as if i'd got into something else or at least hadn't got my own ears on me own head never saw or heard alice like this afore he added turning in gloomy bewilderment to the housemaid for a word of human sympathy the movement did not altogether please alice and she felt she must justify her behaviour you see john she said with dignity keeping her back towards him and pretending to dust the globe of a lamp there's things as no woman can help and therefore as no man has no right to complain of them it's not as if i'd gone and done it or changed myself no more'n if i had took place in my cradle what can i help it if the world goes and changes itself am i to blame tell me that it's not that i make no complaint but i tell you it ain't me it's circumstances as gone and changed theirselves and being as circumstances is changed things ain't the same as they was and miss is the properer term for you to me john jephson dang it if i know what you're driving at alice miss cox i i beg your pardon miss i'm sure dang me if i do don't swear john jephson leastways before a lady it's not proper it seems to me miss cox as if the wind was a-settin from bedlam 
or maybe Colney Hatch, said John, who was considered a humorist among his comrades. I wouldn't take no liberties with a lady, Miss Cox, but if I might be so bold as to arse the joke of the thing? Joke indeed, cried Alice. Do you call a dead uncle and ten thousand pounds a joke? God bless me, said John. You don't mean it, Alice. I do mean it, and that you'll find, John Jeffson. I'm going to bid you good-bye tomorrow. Hoy, Alice, exclaimed honest John, aghast. It's truth, I tell ye, said Alice. And for how long, gasped John, for feeling illimitable misfortune. That depends, returned Alice, who did not care to lessen the effect of her communication by mentioning her promised return for a season. It ain't likely, she added, as an heiress is gonna to act, the nest made much longer. But Alice, said John, you don't mean to say, it's not in your mind now. It, it can't be, Alice. You're only joking with me. Indeed I am not, interjected Alice with a sniff. I don't mean it that way, you know. What I mean is, you don't mean as how this ere money, dang it all, as how is to be all over between you and me? You can't mean that, Alice, ended the poor fellow with a choking in his throat. It was very hard upon him. He must look either as if he wanted to share her money, or else as if he were ready to give her up. Arst yourself, John Jeffson, answered Alice, whether it's likely a young lady of fortune would be keeping company with a young man as didn't know how to take off his hat to her in the park. Alice did not above half mean what she said. She wished mainly to enhance her own importance. At the same time, she did mean it half, and that would have been enough for Jeffson. He rose, grievously wounded. Goodbye, Alice, taking the hand she did not refuse. You're throwing from ye what all your money won't buy. She gave a scornful little laugh, and John walked out of the kitchen. At the door he turned with one lingering look, but in Alice there was no sign of softening. She turned scornfully away, and no doubt enjoyed her triumph to the full. The next morning she went away. End of chapter 3